This morning's um, Bible reading comes from Exodus 11, 12, no, 11, starting at verse 1. Exodus 11. Now the Lord had said to Moses, I will bring one more plague on Pharaoh and on Egypt. After that, he will let you go from from here, and when he does, he will drive you out completely. Tell the people that men and women alike are to ask their neighbors for articles of silver and gold. The Lord made the Egyptians favorably disposed toward the um, the people, and Moses himself was highly regarded in Egypt by Pharaoh's officials and by the people. So Moses said, This is what the Lord says. About midnight I will go throughout Egypt. Every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill, and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. There will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. But among the Israelites, not a a dog will bark at any person or any animal. Then you will know that the Lord makes a distinction between Egypt and Israel. All these officials of yours will come to me, bowing down before me and saying, Go, you and all the people who follow you. After that, I will leave. Then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. The Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh will refuse to listen to you, so that my wonders may be multiplied in Egypt. Moses and Aaron performed all these wonders before Pharaoh, but the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart, and he would not let the Israelites go out of his country. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in Egypt, This month is to be for you the first month, the first month of your year. Tell the whole community of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Each man is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. If any household is too small for a whole lamb, they must share one with their nearest neighbor, having taken into account the number of people there are. You are to determine the amount of lamb needed in accordance with what each person will eat. The animal you choose must be year-old males without defect, and you may take them from the sheep or the goats. Take care of them until the 14th day of the month, when all the members of the community of Israel must slaughter them at twilight. Then they are to take some of the blood and put it on the sides and tops of the door frames of the houses where they eat the lambs. That same night, they are to eat the meat roasted over the fire, along with bitter herbs and bread made without yeast. Do not eat the meat raw or boil in water, but roast it over a fire with the head, legs, and its internal organs. Do not leave any of it till morning. If some is left till morning, you must burn it. This is how you are to eat it. With your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. 
and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. This is the day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. This is the word of the Lord. Let's uh, let's pray. Father, we're so thankful for your word, even word uh, from Exodus, which is still so uh, good uh, for us uh, to live a life of obedience and faith uh, in, in our trust of the Lord Jesus. We are so grateful for all you have done for us uh, through him in the way that you have saved us and provided him to save us. We pray this morning as we read your word and, and reflect on it now that it would help us to remember uh, all that you've done for us in him. And we pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, every uh, nation has a national uh, day. As a church, we had a Bastille Day, uh, France's uh, national day. It's on the 14th of July, uh, a day celebrating the, the storming of Bastille, uh, marking a turning point in the French uh, Revolution, the people over the monarchy, and it's still celebrated today with a massive display of military might, as you can uh, see there, and stacks of fireworks. And of course, the hope, the great hope never happens, yes, hope that a Frenchman will win the stage of the Tour de France that day. And I'm sure there's heaps of baguettes, uh, camembert and champagne flowing. Uh, Friday just gone, uh, I believe, was the Singapore National Day, uh, a celebration of the independence uh, from Malaysia. And of course, our national uh, day, Australia Day, or in some circles, uh, Invasion Day, uh, a day celebrated where the English, they dropped off their finest criminals uh, on our great uh, lands, celebrated with thongs, singlets, Aussie flags draped around us, drinking VB, cooking a barbie, and of course, watching the cricket. Every nation uh, has a celebration uh, day, a remembrance of some significant event, uh, but celebrated in lots and lots of different ways. And Israel, God's people, well, they were no different. Uh, What we'll see is the beginning of of their nation. And we see there in uh, Exodus 12, verse 2, check that out there, it says, this month is to be for you the first month, or the beginning of months, as some translations put it, Uh, the first month of your year. It marked a new calendar year, a new era in their lives. And it's the Passover was a way of celebrating God's good work in rescuing and redeeming them. Well, the Passover was to remind God's people of what he had done for them, uh, what he had done to Egypt and to Pharaoh. And what we've seen as we've kind of worked through the book of Exodus from, from chapter 1 up, to, up until now is we've seen the harsh way that Pharaoh has treated God's people. Uh, we saw back in chapter 1 that uh, he dealt shrewdly with them. He turned them into slaves. He oppressed them. He was ruthless and harsh, causing their lives to become bitter. And to cap it off, he ordered all newborn baby boys to be murdered to be thrown into the river Nile. 
And we must remember their great act of wickedness in that order. Murder all the baby boys. We must remember that as we work through this passage uh, this morning. Well, a little bit later, uh, we saw in chapter 4 that as the Lord spoke to Pharaoh, and he says, and I've got these up on the screen there, he says this, this is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you, let my son go, so he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. We'll see here in those verses how close and dear Israel were to God. They had a really special relationship with him. They were, God saw them as his firstborn son. And yet despite this word from the Lord, Pharaoh continues his harsh, ruthless treatment and cruel treatment of God's people and refuses, refuses to let them go. And so last week, uh, as Emma reminded us in the kids' talk, we saw the first nine uh, plagues where God flexed his power and turned creation against uh, Pharaoh and against Egypt so that they would know that he is the Lord God. And despite each plague hitting like a torrential wave, he's had a hard heart and refused to let them go. And so as we see the tenth plague this morning, we'll see that it's a promise, a fulfillment of, 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 this, of this chapter, in, of this promise in verse chapter 4. You see, God treats Pharaoh the way that Pharaoh has treated his own people. It is like for like, firstborn son for firstborn son. And so what we see in, in the passage is that Moses, uh, God speaks to Moses in uh, 11 to four, uh, chapter 11, verse 4 to 8, and he kind of explains kind of what's going to happen. And then if you compare it, flip over to 12, 29 to 31, you can kind of see that what he says uh, happens. So, so keep your finger in, in, if, uh, in the church pew Bibles at least. It's on different pages. So, so try and flip back and forth as, as, as I read through some of these for us. So, so from 11, 4, have a look there. Uh, about midnight, I will go throughout Egypt. But then over in 12.29, at midnight, the Lord struck. Uh, in 11.5, every firstborn son in Egypt will die. From the firstborn son of Pharaoh, who sits on the throne, to the firstborn son of the female slave, who is at her hand mill and all the firstborn of the cattle as well. You see, no matter who you are, whether you are rich or poor, whether slave or free or king, no distinction will be made. It's not about your connections. All the firstborn of Egypt will die. And it's what happens. 12.29, have a look there. The Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on the throne to the firstborn of the prisoner who was, who was in the dungeon and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Back in 11.6, uh, we see there will be loud wailing throughout Egypt, worse than there has ever been or ever will be again. And in 12.30, Pharaoh and his officials and all of the Egyptians got up during the night and there was loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. 
and this would have been awful, awful for the Egyptians, the crying and loud mourning throughout the land. And as each one cries, they're drowned out by the other cries that they're hearing around them. Awful, truly awful. And you know, we've heard this crying in the earlier. We heard it back in chapter 1. When, when Pharaoh ordered Israel's baby boys to be murdered, thrown into the Nile. But God heard their cries and he acted on them in their behalf, as we've seen. But for Egypt, no one heard their cry. And so Pharaoh drives them out of the land. And we'll think about that more next week. We've seen this terrible plague on, on Egypt and what we've seen is God's judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt for their wicked treatment of God's people and it is like for like firstborn son for firstborn son. And what this plague shows us is that God takes sin seriously. God hates all wickedness and evil. Egypt and Pharaoh, they treated God's people wickedly in vile and evil ways. And God can't leave wickedness, evil unpunished. You see, as a, as a righteous God, as a righteous judge, he must execute his judgment against their wickedness, against all wickedness. And all wickedness will be judged one day. A consequence of of wickedness, of of evil, of sin, well, it's death. Death is the consequence. And look, God's judgment isn't very popular in our society today. Uh, Regardless of where we sit on the fence, I think we can see with with the Israel Falau thing, uh, who quoted the Bible and lost his job. Regardless of whether someone believed in hell or not, the idea of judgment is repulsive to the world around us. People see the the idea, the concept of, of hell as vile and evil. And yet the scriptures have always spoken about God's judgment against evil. All evil. Not just the evil done against God in rejecting him, but the evil done to one another. You see, God takes sin seriously. And the consequence is death. And we've seen that uh, since Genesis chapter 3. Adam Adam and Eve, they rejected, they disobeyed God's good word and death entered the world. There was no death and then there was death. Death was the judgment for, for rejection and rebelling against God. Death is present because humanity have rebelled against God. And in God's judgment on on Pharaoh, he brings death to their firstborn son. It is like for like. We see here that God takes sin seriously in his judgment on Pharaoh and Egypt. But what makes this tenth plague different from from the other nine? Well, interestingly, those those two sections that I got us to flip through are kind of separated from, from each other. Most of chapter 12 is kind of in the middle of it. And it's with that that other section of chapter 12 uh, that God gives really specific instructions to God's people for that night. You see, on that same night that God would judge Egypt, 
God's people, they were to do something. And God begins, he inaugurates the Passover. And what we see is some really specific instructions for this first uh, Passover. So, so follow along, I'll point some of it out for us uh, as we read along. So from, from 12.3, uh, the whole community is to take a lamb for his family, one for each household. Uh, and these animals, verse 5, must be year-old males without defect. And you may take them from the sheep or the goats. You know, they are to be the best of the best, the most valuable, a quality animal. And then on the, the 14th day, everyone, verse 7, Israel must slaughter them at twilight. That is, as the sun comes down, they are to slaughter these animals. And then they are to get the, the blood of this animal and they're, they're to kind of paint it and spread it on, on the door frames, on the top part and on the sides. They're to spread the blood on the, on, on the doorposts. They're then to, to roast the meat uh, and eat it that night. And they're to eat it, verse 11, with cloaks tucked into their belts, with sandals on their feet and your staff in your hand. Eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. You see, they are to cook it quickly. They're to eat it, dressed, to travel, ready to leave Egypt. You see, these instructions show there's no time to fluff about. No time to muck about in how you cook it and making it really nice or actually eat quick. Get ready to go. And while they've been getting from twilight, from sundown, it is at midnight, verse 12, that the Lord says, I will strike I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. And you see, all this takes place on the same night that God judges Egypt. And what follows is is really quite important from verse 13. Because God explains why the Israelites must follow these really specific instructions. Because, verse 13, have a look there, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will hit you when I strike Egypt. You see, when the Lord strikes the Egyptians... Uh, and he sees the blood smeared on the door, door frames, he will pass over that house. He will, they will be skipped uh, in the judgment because the lamb has died rather than the firstborn. The lamb has died in place of their firstborn. And you see, what this shows us is that God takes sin and evil and wickedness seriously but he also takes it serious of his own people. You see, we might be mistaken in thinking that God's people were without sin, but that would be a mistake. You see, we have seen in Exodus even their rebellious hearts. They didn't trust God's word. God had sent Moses, his messenger, uh, and to speak to them, but they became angry and bitter when Pharaoh turned up their slavery, made it harder for them. You see, they are a sinful bunch. They are not without sin. And look, the Bible describes all people, all of us as sinful, are evil, are totally depraved even. And that is everyone. That is me. 
but that is you also, marked by sin from birth. It is our inner sinfulness that's the root and source of all our sin. It's what comes natural uh, to everyone. Sin, rebellion, or rejection of, of God, and it has come down to us from, from our father Abraham, Adam. Uh, Romans 5, which I actually don't have on the screen, sorry, about this, says this. Just as though the disobedience, just as through the disobedience of the one man, the many were made sinners. One man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, makes us all sinners. And it is what comes natural to us. But of course that doesn't mean that we can't do good. Of course there are many good and wonderful things that we can do. But it's kind of like a sailor. He's a really good and hard-working sailor. He's looked up to. He's respected by his peers and, and those in charge. He's got a really good work ethic. And, he, and he's a real caring guy. He looks after his fellow sailors. You'd look at this sailor and you'd go, man, he is a model sailor. This guy's a good guy. But here's the thing. When we see the flag that flies above the ship, we see it's a Jolly Roger flag. He's a pirate. There are many good things that we can do, but at the very core, the Bible teaches us that we are sinful, and that includes God's people. You see, God takes sin so seriously, even from his own people, But here's the thing, even though we deserve God's judgment, they deserve God's judgment, God provides the blood of the lamb to deal with their sin. God in mercy provides his people with the Passover lamb, that the lamb dies in place of their firstborn. And you see, these really severe warnings and really specific instructions of, of what they were meant to do really show that they had to follow bit by bit exactly what God had said. The lamb, a very particular type, the blood on the doors and all these kinds of things. Because if they hadn't had done that, they would have been caught up in Israel's judgment, uh, in Egypt's judgment too. Their firstborn sons would have died as well. You see, what they needed to do was to believe God believe that what God said was true and to act upon that, to act upon what God had said. And when they did, well, they were spared and the lamb died instead of their child. And the sacrifice of the the lamb, the blood on the doorpost, was so important because the lamb died in place of the people and it shows that God can't let sin be go unpunished. He is a good and a righteous God uh, and he wouldn't be if he just left sin unpunished. But in mercy and kindness in an undeserving manner, he provides the lamb to deal with their sin. God provides the blood that is needed. But you see, God doesn't just show favoritism. Like a father might favor uh, a particular son and doesn't punish them in the same way, or, or a teacher 
We all know this teacher who favours a particular student and always gives them an A or never gives them detention. Uh, Or the judge who unfairly releases someone who is clearly guilty. But you see, God doesn't show favouritism like that. God is just and right and fair. He doesn't let the guilty go free without first dealing with their sin. It is his mercy and and grace that sees him provide this lamb, that the lamb dies in place of the firstborn. The lamb dies instead. The penalty was paid through the blood of the lamb, not just removed. God provides for his people in the blood of the lamb. Earlier this year, we were reading through John's Gospel. And John the Baptist said of Jesus, do you remember? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. You see, Jesus is our great Passover Lamb, provided by God to deal with with our, the world, wicked and evil ways. But he doesn't just deal with the sin in one particular point, like that particular point in time in history in Exodus. You see, his death was sufficient for all sin at all times for all people. I think we see it uh, super clear in 1 Peter as well, where it says this. I've got this here up on the screen. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. The one way that sin can be dealt with, the only way that we can be rescued and redeemed from this empty way of life that we were born into, totally depraved, remember? The one way to be made right with God is through the blood of Christ the lamb without blemish or defect. You see, God deals with our sin. It's still punished. It is still dealt with. But the lamb of Christ, the lamb of God, takes our place. Well, for God's people in the Exodus, uh, they needed to believe that what God said was true and act on it. And they were saved. And it's exactly the same for us today. We're not saved because of our family connections, because we've always attended church, because I was baptised as a child, because I have Christian friends, because I give to charity. No, no, no. We are only saved because of the Lamb of Christ, the one God has provided to deal with our sin. And all we need to do is believe is belief that God has provided this and to act on it in faith. God has provided the great Lamb of Christ, his blood in our place, if only we would believe and trust him. Well, let me ask, what are the dates do you have fixed uh, into your mind? The things that are are really uh, important to you. It might be the end of your studies, or a big event happening in the future. It may be a 
a marriage anniversary from the past or a, or a loved one's birthday. And what do we do to remember? Because I'm sure you've faced the consequences for forgetting in the past. Um, we do our best to etch them on our brains. We whack them in our diaries. And maybe that's why uh, people get dates tattooed on their bodies so they surely they will never forget. And for God's people, they were told repeatedly uh, in the passage uh, to remember this day. They were to celebrate this Passover for the generations, for the years and years to come, and it is still celebrated today. Because as they celebrated this meal, this Passover meal, it would help them remember. We see that in uh, 12, uh, 14. Have a look there. This day, this is a day you are to commemorate. For the generations to come, you shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. And when asked why they celebrate the Passover each year, they're to say, 1227, have a look there, it is the Passover sacrifice to the Lord who passed over the houses of the Israelites in Egypt and spared our homes when he struck down the Egyptians. And 13.3, have a look there too. Commemorate this day, the day you came out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, because the Lord brought you out of it with a mighty hand. They needed to remember the great things that the Lord had done for them in saving them out of slavery and bringing them out of of Egypt, in, in sparing their sons. They were to remember God's powerful work and hand through all of this because they couldn't have done it without him. And they were to never, ever forget. And, and the meal, this Passover meal, was a great visual reminder of what God had done for them. He had worked mightily to save them. And God has worked mightily to save us too. In Christ Jesus, our Passover lamb, and's worked for us with and and that's worked for us with eternal significance and consequences. He has dealt with our sin once and for all and has allowed us to be in right relationship with God. We have a great hope in life. Salvation and life are ours because of because of his death. God has worked mightily to save us. But how easy we forget. In Exodus, and we'll see in the coming weeks, in chapter 16, four chapters, in four chapters' time, they forgot. And we can forget too. When it comes to to life, the day to day of, of, of things, we can forget. We get caught up in the things that are going on in our world. We get distracted by our studies, by our work. We get preoccupied with our families, with our children. We become obsessed with a game or obsessed with planning something and so easily forget the eternal significance of God's great work for us in Jesus who saves us. You see, we need to remember too. We need to remember that we couldn't, we can't, we can't save ourselves and without God's work in our lives we would be dead. And so we need to remember and by remembering, we, we demonstrate that it's important to us and that we are grateful for what God has done for us. And look, there are many ways that we can do, there are many things that we can do to, to remember. 
to, to read the scriptures, to, to, to pray daily. It helps us to, to focus on God throughout, throughout the day. Uh, as we gather as God's people, last week we celebrated the, the Lord's Supper, uh, another visual kind of thing that reminds us of, of what Christ has done for us. Uh, we remember as we gather here at church on Sunday, midweek in our discipleship teams or, or at a university campus group like a Christian union, these things are all there to help us remember. Uh, and in the words of, of Hebrews 10, I, lo- I love this passage, it's one of, one of my favourites anyway, uh, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. We gather as God's people to remember, to remember that, that Christ will return soon. And so let's not neglect meeting together so that we can encourage one another to live for Christ as we wait for him to return. Make every effort to gather because it helps us remember. There's this saying, um, you you may have heard it, it speaks about generations. The first generation, they know the gospel. They love the gospel. Their lives are shaped by the gospel. It is what they live for. They know the gospel. But the next generation, they assume the gospel. They think they know it. They, it seems that they, they know, they're, they're aware of it. But some of the things that show that it's a bit of an assumption is they might just go to church when it suits them, when life isn't too busy, uh, or make time for church. They hold to the Christian identity, but it doesn't really shape their lives like the people who, who know the gospel. And then the next generation, well, they deny the gospel. They reject it completely. From, from knowing the gospel to assuming the gospel to denying the gospel, a very sad downward trend. But you know, it doesn't have to be that way. And I think knowing this is helpful for for me as a a parent with someone with children, but I I think actually it's helpful for all of us. Uh, We may have children one day, but we can all certainly help people who do. But it's actually a reminder of what we do as God's people as we gather. What are the things we want to model to our children? What do we want to model to those around us? What are the things we want to show them as important as believers? Because what we do is what our children will do. And so does the gathering of God's people take second place and only happen when nothing's better on or you're not so busy? or when there's no sport or or no parties or whatever it might be, when nothing else is on, then we'll go to church. But what is that modelling? What is that modelling our children? What is that modelling to those around us? May we not assume the gospel, but know it and demonstrate that in the way that we live our lives and do all that we can to remember what God has done for us in our Passover, uh, in the blood of the Lamb, our Lord Jesus.
The Lord takes sin seriously. He did not need to save us. He didn't need to provide a way for it to be dealt with, but in his loving kindness and mercy, not because we deserve it. He provided the only way that we can be declared right in his sight. Through the blood of Christ, our Lamb, the Lamb of God. And so let's help one another. Remember this truth each and every day. Living each day expectant and longing for Christ's return. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for our Lord Jesus, the Lamb of God whose blood has washed us (coughs) through faith. Our faith in him has declared us right in your sight and for that we are so grateful. We are thankful for your mercy in providing him. We do pray that you would so help us remember that we may always know the gospel and forever pass it on to the next generations that we may always know and the many generations may always know remembering all that Christ has done for us. Help us in that we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.